This is RCT 3, Faith, the Building Block. RCT stands for Roman Catechism of Trent. God give you his peace, in nomine Patris et Spiritus Sancti, Amen. Heavenly King, Consoler Spirit, Spirit of Truth, who are present everywhere and filling all things, treasure of all good and source of all life, come dwell in us, cleanse us and save us, you who are all good, Amen. In nomine Patris et Spiritus Sancti, Amen. And a quick request for you all, please let me know in the comments on YouTube if you would like me to, one, comment as we go, or two, read the whole catechism segment of the day as I did in CPX, and then repeat the words that I want to comment on and then comment. The advantage of the first is obviously that you don't have to hear the catechism repeated, so it kind of streamlines it a bit better. The advantage of the second is I won't interrupt the reading of the catechism the first time through. I'm leaning towards keeping it that second way, the same way as CPX, but please do leave a comment on either Rumble or YouTube. Obviously, if you're listening on Apple or Android, you can't leave comments. I also don't have comments open on the blog. So please, if you're doing the video, let me know. Uh, However, today we are going to do it the first way, comment as we go, because there is so much to say. So part one and two of RCT was really the history of this catechism and why to trust it. Today, we actually go right into the words of the catechism, and how perfect the very first section is on the creed, and the very first section of the first section today is on faith. So the first sentence of this Roman Catechism of Trent, also called the Catechism of Pius V, reads thus, In preparing and instructing men in the teachings of Christ the Lord, the fathers began by explaining the meaning of faith. Okay, now what a beautiful sentence. The fathers are the fathers of Trent, And as I said last time, Protestantism made the entire Catholic world ask in the 16th century, what is the nature of faith? So it's an excellent first question to inquire about the very meaning of faith. Next sentence reads, following their example, we have thought it well to treat first what pertains to that virtue. Though the word faith has a variety of meanings in the sacred scriptures, we here speak only of that faith by which we yield our entire assent to whatever has been divinely revealed. Now, assent is a very good word. We are very used to the word consent because of all of the issues on civil law. Assent is very similar in its etymology to consent, but assent is defined as to give express approval or agreement. Now, we're talking about things on divine revelation, so it's not like we can change what God revealed, whether we assent or not, but it does show us that God leaves us in freedom to accept what he is divinely revealed. As we'll see, there's real eternal consequences to not assenting, but again, that suffix is the same as the English word consent, to give consent. So God leaves us in freedom whether or not we will accept everything he has revealed in the deposit of the faith. As we talked about in 1 and 2, no catechism is infallible simply by being a catechism, but this one contains only and exclusively the deposit of the faith, that is, that which was given from Christ to the apostles. So the next segment today is called Necessity of Faith, and the Catechism itself reads, That faith thus understood is necessary to salvation, no man can reasonably doubt, particularly since it is written, Without faith it is impossible to please God, Hebrews 11.6. For as the end proposed to man as his ultimate happiness is far above the reach of human understanding, it was therefore necessary that it should be made known to him by God. 
Okay, now in a recent blog post, I explained that you can be naturally good without knowing Christ, but to reach the supernatural goal of heaven, you need supernatural, supernatural help. That's why it's not enough to be a good person to go to heaven. If it were a natural goal, that would be, then you could just work in a soup kitchen. But because sin divides us from God, we need supernatural help to get to the supernatural goal, which is heaven. And therefore, without supernatural goodness, the greatest amount of natural goodness simply can't get you to heaven. Now, many Catholics today are going to come into this conversation and say, yeah, that's why we need the sacraments. And they're actually absolutely right. I'm not going to shoot that down. They're absolutely right. Uh, But the sacraments don't get you anywhere if you don't have the right faith. The sacraments aren't really going to help you too much if you don't hold to the fullness of the deposit of the faith. Hence why this catechism starts with faith before the sacraments. That's why we just heard as the first scripture quote in the entire catechism that we're going to be doing over the next few years, Hebrews 11.6, which reads, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. This reminds me a little bit of what Cardinal Zen said on an EWTN interview about a year ago. He shows that many Chinese Christians in prison today keep the faith but don't have the sacraments. In other words, we could say there are many Chinese Christians, many Chinese Catholics today in prison who are pleasing to God even though they don't have access to the sacraments. That's just one anecdotal piece of modern church history to understand why even the Council of Trent, or I should say especially the Council of Trent, puts faith before the sacraments, even though, of course, there's no disconnect between the two. Okay, the Catechism continues. This knowledge, however, is nothing else than faith, by which we yield our unhesitating assent to whatever the authority of our our Holy Mother, the Church, teaches us to have been revealed by God. For the faithful cannot doubt those things of which God, who is truth itself, is the author. All right, now this is where we have to see that the Roman Catechism of Trent, this is not a human opinion. This isn't just like what traditionalists hold to. God himself and God alone is both the author and the giver of the deposit of the faith. First, in a veiled way in the Old Testament, and then Christ himself to the apostles in the New Testament. And what Christ gave the apostles is the deposit of the faith, both that which was written and that which is in tradition. Just look in 2 Thessalonians 2. We've talked about that before. Now, much of what is in the deposit of the faith has been sidelined by the hierarchy since Vatican II. Does that change the deposit of the faith? No. That's why the authors of the Roman Catechism of Trent today just wrote that we all must, quote, Assent to whatever the authority of our Holy Mother, the Church, teaches us to have been revealed by God, for the faithful cannot doubt those things of which God, who is truth itself, is the author. End quote. So that simply can't change. Nobody can change the deposit of the faith. Okay, the next line. Hence we see the great difference that exists between this faith, which we give to God, and that which we yield to the writers of human history. So in other words, Even if every bishop on the planet were at some time in, say, some very dark age of history, say, like, oh, maybe now, say that they all teach their salvation outside the church, guess what? It doesn't make it true if it differs from the deposit of the faith. You see, opinion polls can never change the deposit of the faith. And this is why it's so important in the time of the greatest confusion of all of church history that we return to the deposit of the faith, which is preserved I think I can say perfectly, in the Roman Catechism of Trent. Okay, now the next line is titled, Unity of Faith. And the writers of the Catechism write, Faith differs in degree, 
For we read in Scripture these words, O thou of little faith, why didst thou doubt? Matthew 14.31 And great is thy faith, Matthew 15.28 And increase our faith, Luke 17.5 It also differs in dignity, for we read, Faith without works is dead, James chapter 2, verse 17 and 20, and faith that worketh by charity, that is, Galatians 5, 6. Okay, now think about that. An acorn is genetically a tree. When you were an embryo, you still had the same genome and the same soul as you do today. Now, of course, you're bigger and you're smarter now, but it's still you. You're the same you as you were as an embryo. And so also, I have the same set of data of the aspects of supernatural faith to which Mary assented at Pentecost and before that, even though her ascent, notice that great word ascent again, even though Mary's ascent at Pentecost was greater than anything I'll have this side of heaven if I make it there. Mary's ascent at Pentecost uh, was obviously a lot greater than anything I'm going to have on this planet. And as I'm going to explain later, Mary in heaven has no faith now, only charity. But when she was on earth, she had the same faith as you or me just bigger. And by bigger, I mean like the analogy of a supernova to a basketball. That doesn't work from, say, like Mary's faith to Martin Luther's faith. Why? Because once he rejected one part of the Catholic faith, he became a heretic through and through. So what we're going to see in this series, this is why in that section it just said basically there's different levels of how intense your faith is. But as long as you are a Catholic striving for orthodoxy, you have the one faith. But you can grow in faith and you can grow in hope, and you can grow in charity. And so we're going to see in this series as we go, unfortunately, that most Catholics are material heretics. It means they, whether they mean to or not, they reject part of the deposit of the faith. This is really seen so frequently. So many modernists say Vatican II didn't change the faith, only the packaging. But then you quote them, the Roman Catechism of Trent, and they say, well, yeah, 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 but Catholics don't talk that way anymore. Okay, well, which, which one is it then? I mean, am I just packaging it wrong or did the faith change? It's like when I was talking about this packaging to a friend of mine, he said, yeah, if I've been getting tomahawk steaks from the same meatpacking place for years and then they tell me they repackaged it, he still hopes that when he opens the T-bone steaks or the tomahawk steaks, it's going to still be the same product that he's been given, just a different packaging. So yeah, no problem with different packaging. Obviously, the fathers of Trent didn't have YouTube or Rumble or Apple Podcasts. But did the faith change? Of course not. That's why I'm allowed to present this deposit of the faith on Rumble and YouTube and Apple Podcasts and why I can say, guess what? The faith hasn't changed. Okay, and then the last sentence from the Roman Catechism of Trent today. But although faith is so comprehensive, it is yet the same in kind. And the full force of its definition applies equally to all its varieties. How fruitful it is and how great are the advantages we may derive from it, we shall point out when explaining the articles of the Creed. Okay, and as you know, the Creed will be the main large segment, first large segment of the Roman Catechism of Trent. So let's finish this third RCT on a debate you probably hear at your extended family dinner tables a couple times a year. We're going to look at this important question. What is more important, supernatural faith or supernatural charity? I'm not saying that people sit down at Thanksgiving and they say, what is more important, supernatural faith or supernatural charity? But when you extrapolate from almost every Catholic debate that happens in every family, it really does come down 
to what's more important, faith or love, and what comes first, faith or love. So let's start with actually what's more important, supernatural faith or supernatural charity. The answer is supernatural charity. Supernatural charity is by far more important than supernatural faith, but we're going to see in a minute, faith is the only portal, the only launching point to get to charity. Let's look at what the church teaches about Jesus and Mary when they walk this planet. So Christ on the cross, when he was crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I obviously reject what von Balthasar said there, that he felt the pains of, um, or he in his intellect and will experienced the rejection of God and was redeeming those in hell. That's obviously false. But did Christ feel in his humanity a rejection by God? Yes. Um, Was Christ making acts of faith and hope at that moment of saying on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? St. Thomas Aquinas says no. Thomas Aquinas says Christ never had any faith or hope on earth. Why? Because he was only, not, not just in his divinity, even in his humanity was only at the level of supernatural charity. Why? Because Christ had the beatific vision when he walked the planet. So he didn't have to make acts of faith or hope, even in even on the crucifix, even in the crucifixion, he was at the level of pure charity, even in his humanity, not just his divinity. How about Mary? Now, there are some Marian theologians I respect who say Mary had the beatific vision her whole life too, in which case she wouldn't have to make acts of faith or hope. Um, I tend to believe that she did have to make acts of faith and hope, even if she had some seminal form of the um, beatific vision. I'm totally... Happy to be corrected on this if the Marian Maximalist, because I consider myself a Marian Maximalist also, if they want to correct me. But I hold that Mary had to make acts of faith and hope and charity as she walked the planet. And this is why we look to Mary, not to Jesus, at least in the imitation of acts of faith and hope. Of course, Christ is the only source of the grace that allows us to make acts of faith, hope, and charity. But in imitation, we look to Mary. Now, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 8 to 13, explains why only supernatural charity lives forever. And what I mean by that is, now that Jesus and Mary, and of course, uh, Jesus as the second person of the Trinity, was always united with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, always in heaven. But now that the body and soul of Jesus and Mary are in heaven, of course, Jesus doesn't have faith and hope because he didn't even on earth. Mary, in her body and soul in heaven, does she have faith or hope? No, she doesn't. She has only charity. In fact, all the saints who are already in heaven, because they see God face to face, because the saints are in the beatific vision of eternally gazing and contemplating upon the blessed Trinity himself, there's no more faith or hope. Faith and hope are like those rockets that get thrown off when the the rocket actually leaves the atmosphere. There's only charity, that last central rocket that's actually controlling it. Once you're outside the atmosphere and you're please God in heaven, There's only supernatural charity. And that's explained to us in 1 Corinthians 13. It says, Charity never falleth away. I'm reading you the Douay Rhymes today. Some some translations say love never fails. or Love never stops. Love never ends. Charity never falleth away. Whether prophecy shall be made void, or tongues shall cease, or knowledge shall be destroyed. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. 
But when I became a man, I put away the things of a child. We see now through a glass in a dark manner, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know even as I am known. And now there remain faith, hope, and charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. So supernatural charity is the apex. It's the goal of the Christian life, not supernatural faith. However, as you just heard, faith is the building block of charity without which you can't have any charity. So if you memorize anything from today, make it this. You can have truth without love, but you can't have love without truth. Let me say that again. I'm going to explain it. I'm going to back it up. You can have truth without love, but you can't have love without truth. It's from 1 Corinthians 13. St. Paul wrote right before what I just read you, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And if I should have prophecy and should know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I should have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. So right there, it seems Paul's telling us he's seen people, Christians in the first century who were baptized, who were living faith, had faith, but they didn't have charity. So you can actually maintain the deposit of the faith, have all the data points of the Council of Trent in your brain, but if you're not living charity, it's no good. Now, the inverse of this is you actually can't be a saint if you're also a heretic. I'm going to prove that in a minute. But the point to remember right now is you can have truth without love, but you can't have love without truth. Okay, so what does this have to do with your practical lives today? Imagine you're at this family get-together, and let's say you're a traditional Catholic, and let's say all your extended family is just normie Catholics, progressive Catholics, liberal Catholics, modernist Catholics, whatever you want to, whatever you want to call them. I hate name-calling, but you're not going to get what I'm saying unless we use these terms. And let's say they want to discuss with you, I don't know, one of the big issues in the current events of the Catholic Church today. Like, I don't know, Pacamama or traditional Latin Mass versus Novo Soto or Taylor Marsh or whatever. And let's say one of these topics comes up and you give a very calm, sober explanation of your traditional Catholic view of something. And then let's say you surprise your liberal family members by how kind and how patient you were in your explanation. Maybe now, after your explanation, maybe they even care a little bit about the truth since they hear that you gave some good pieces of evidence. But then they seem to have this uh, kind of cover-all line and they say, well, those are some good points, but traditional Catholics are mean on Twitter and I just can't get behind that. And you say, and I know this sounds like this, this story's happened in my life before. I'm, I'm just making this up out of hundreds of conversations people tell me, not just one. But you say, yeah, we traditional Catholics, we do need to be nicer. We do need to be more patient. We do need to be more kind. Uh, But what about all this evidence I just presented to you on, I don't know, Pacamama or traditional Latin Mass or Taylor Marshall? What about all that evidence? Can you counter any of that evidence? And then amazingly, one of the progressive Catholics at the table at Thanksgiving admits you have more evidence, but then they still go along with modernist Catholicism because they think they're nicer than traditional Catholics. Okay, now, first of all, I don't think progressive Catholics are nicer than traditional Catholics at all. I'm not saying that. Um, I think progressive Catholics are very nice to other progressive Catholics and other progressives, but if you're not in their circles, they're very hateful and mean, very, very mean. But even if someone were a little more reasonable and convinced of that, here's the line you should say next, which I've already given you, but it's worth memorizing. You can have the truth without love, but you can't have love without truth. 
You can have truth without love, but you can't have love without truth. How do we know that? First, I just proved it from 1 Corinthians 13. Um, now, of course, you have to admit this too. We actually all want both love and truth. There should never be a rub. Of course, the traditional Catholic should be striving maximally for truth and love. I'm not saying there's a disconnect. Nobody denies that. Nobody thinks there's a disconnect. But if there is a disconnect, as unfortunately so many Catholics think today, we have to start with one of those. And again, 1 Corinthians 13 shows that faith is the building block of charity, not vice versa. Also, here's the thing. You can't prove how much kindness somebody has, but you can prove how much truth they have. How? By evidence. You see, the saints were maxed out on supernatural faith and supernatural charity. One reason God gave miracles to saints is because he has deemed them worthy witnesses of both the perfect example of supernatural faith and supernatural charity. As Father Paul Kramer wrote in his book, The Devil's Final Battle, God does not grant miracles to vouch for unreliable witnesses. And by the way, Father Kramer was on my last TCE, number 46, discussing Fatima. He's probably the greatest living expert on Fatima, getting up there in years, so I suggest you listen, but I only put it on Rumble, not on YT or Apple or Android. In any case, what I'm extrapolating from Father Paul Kramer is this, that God gives miracles to saints, and no saint has ever been a heretic, at least none validly canonized. So you can be orthodox without being a saint, but you can't be a saint without being orthodox. Let me say that again. You can be orthodox without being a saint, but you can't be a saint without being orthodox. And that's why we have to start with the faith as the portal to hope and love. This is why the Roman Catechism of Trent doesn't start with working in a soup kitchen or let's pick a saint concurrent with this time. St. Francis Xavier raising the dead. Why don't we start with Francis Xavier raising the dead? Because he never would have got to that point of the unitive stage of prayer where he was maximally in union with God who is love raising the dead if he hadn't first learned the faith, which really was introduced to him by St. Ignatius of Loyola. Even studying at the University of Paris in the 16th century, St. Francis Xavier later looked back and pointed out he would have fallen in with heretics. Kind of amazing to think of in the 16th century. St. Francis Xavier thanks St. Ignatius of Loyola. I think it's an, actually a letter to his parents saying, I would have fallen in with these heretics if Ignatius of Loyola had not saved me. Um, and so this is, again, why we have to start with faith as the portal to hope and love. You've, if you don't have the deposit of the faith, it doesn't matter how kind you are or how kind your friends think you are. Um, anybody can fake kindness to their own tribe. And that's why progressive Catholics get so angry when you present evidence to them because they don't have supernatural faith or supernatural charity, only kindness to their own tribe. But for the few progressive Catholics willing to listen to you on really how big the deposit of the faith is, he should at least believe 1 Corinthians 13, which, by the way, every liberal Catholic chooses for his wedding, so he can see right in that chapter, faith is the building block of charity, not vice versa. As I said earlier, you can be orthodox without being a saint, but you can't be a saint without being orthodox. So remember that for your next family reunion debates on what is more important, evidence or kindness, you can have the truth without love, but you can't have love without truth. And, of course, it's best to present the evidence of an unchanging deposit of the faith all the way through scientific issues like the jab or evolution. Of course, it's best to present evidence in kindness, since one part of charity is kindness and patience, as we learned from the very beginning of 1 Corinthians 13. Okay, that's enough today. Please, again, do let me know in the comments if you would like me to, one, 
comment as we go, as we did today, or two, read the whole catechism segment of the day as I did in CPX, and then repeat the words I want to comment on, and then comment on them again as we did in CPX. Of course, I may have to experiment a little bit, so don't be offended if I don't take your advice. We'll all be getting used to how the RCT is written a little bit differently from CPX. Please say an Our Father for me, et benedictio Deum omnipotentis, patris et fidi, et spiritus santi, descendet super vos, et maniet semper. Amen. <laughs>